Uh, Genesis chapter number 32, and uh, I won't read uh, all of these verses, I'll just uh, read a few of them, and you can follow along with me in verse number 1. And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host, and he called the name of that place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, and to the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. My servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. Verse 6. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee with four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands, and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, and the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, Return into thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of thy mercies, and of the, all the truth which thou hast shown unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. And let's look on down, if you will, to verse uh, 24. Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall... Be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power of God with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which strength was upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. I want to preach to you for just a few moments this morning on this subject, Jacob's significance. I find this thought in verse number 27. Imagine as a child that you, as, as I remember doing, uh, heard your name called out. And at the point in time that you heard your name called, you'd rather heard any other name than your name. Because you knew that the calling of your name associated you with something that you had done or you didn't do, uh, that your mother and your father were upset at. It seems as though that in this text that Jacob has finally come face to face with God, and, and it is here that he has to confront, really, uh, who he is. 
And God asked him in verse number 27, What is thy name? And it's almost as if that in my mind's eye, I can see Jacob's face and his countenance. It's almost like a light turns on. It's a, a, a perplexing look and yet a, a look of revelation at the same time. And It's as if that he's saying, Oh, oh God, I, my name. Is it my name that you're after? Uh, and it's, I believe really it's the first time that Jacob has really ever said his name in the context of what it really means. And it has such a tremendous significance to it, and, and God is bringing him face to face with, with uh, who he really is. He is Jacob. Now, we've beaten banged on him this week for two days. This is the third. But, uh, you know, I, I guess maybe this morning it would do us well, if you'll agree to it, I would like to take the Jacob test. And uh, as Jacob himself had to face up to his name, I would like for us to see if there is any Jacob in us. Remember, uh, Jeff Foxworthy came out with all those uh, redneck jokes, and they said you might be a redneck if. Well, can I say to you this morning, you might be a Jacob, or you may have some Jacob in you if. Now, will you be honest with me? Let's take the test together. Now, you know a little bit about, especially the preachers, about the life of Jacob to appreciate this as we take this test and apply it to our own hearts. Now, let me say, first of all, you may be a Jacob or you may have some Jacob in you if the only thought that you have about your brother is how to beat him. And you remember how that Jacob beat Esau. And really, it seems as though that that was the only thought that he had about him was is how that he could, he could get ahead of him and uh, he could get the blessing and the birthright before Esau got it. He, he just he had to beat him. That was the Jacob that was in him. Uh, you may have some Jacob in you. Secondly, if you think more about what you can get from your father than what your father thinks about how you got it. Remember how he went in to his father and he lied. And uh, actually Jacob, as he, in a fleshly pursuit, uh, tried to get... Uh, the blessing, he lost his identity because he had to take on the identity of the man he didn't like. He had to become Esau. When he went into the presence of his father, he, uh, every aspect about him had to be just like Esau. And isn't it amazing how religion will rob you of your identity? Uh, we lose our identity many times sitting right here in church. As we try to become what the pe preacher wants us to be or what we feel like the religious organization demands of us, we lose uh, who we really are in God. And uh, so the only thought that he has about his brother is, is, uh, is how to beat him. And, and uh, he thought more about what he could get from his father than how his father thought about how he got it. Uh, let me say to you thirdly, you may have some Jacob in you if, after 21 years, your father-in-law thinks less of you than he did the day you married his daughter. He was thrilled to death that Jacob had come. And he liked Jacob first seven years, next seven years, but 
by the time the 21 years was up, he didn't think much at all of Jacob. Uh, not at all. And if the more you hang around people, the less they think of you, it may not be them, it may be you. Let me say to you, fourthly, you may, we're taking a Jacob test now. You may have some Jacob in you if it makes you mad to realize that your children are acting just like you. Jacob's youngins told him for 22 years that Joseph was dead, didn't they? But can you remember the lie that he told his father? It seems like what goes around comes around, doesn't it? And oftentimes we see in those that are around us, and especially in our children, what we really are. But then can I say to you in this test, lastly, you may have some Jacob in you if you know 100% beyond any shadow of a doubt that you don't have any in you. If you're in that position, you're probably full of Jacob. I want to notice uh, this morning, for a few moments, three ways in which God dealt with the Jacob that was in Jacob. And uh, someone had asked me already, said, well, you talk about all this Jacob, what do we do about it? Well, I don't know. I really don't think there's anything you can do about it. God has to do something about it, as we've heard preached. You don't want to mess with the Jacob in yourself. I mean, he'll whip you coming and going. But uh, God knows how to take care of him. And there's three ways in which God dealt with the Jacob that is in Jacob. And I want to point them out to you from our text. I want to point out to you, first of all, that I believe God dealt with the Jacob that was in Jacob through a confession. It was a private confession, as all real confessions are. He is alone this night. It was a personal confession. There was no one else there that he could blame anything on. And God was asking him. Now, the Lord asked him in verse number 27, he said, What is your name? Now, this is not because that God doesn't know Jacob's name. God knows what his name is. As a matter of fact, everybody knows who he is. Esau knows who he is. The day that he stole the blessing, Esau came in and told his daddy, he said, isn't he rightfully called Jacob? Hasn't he supplanted me on two occasions? You named him the right name. He's a supplanter. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's a conniver. He's a tripper-upper. He's a heel catcher. I know his name. Laban knows his name. Laban's put up with him for all of those years. He knows who he is. Hardly anybody that's ever run into Jacob knows who Jacob really is. I mean, they know the definition of who Jacob really is. The only person that doesn't know who Jacob is all of these years, and at this point he's 90-some years old, is Jacob himself. And so God wants to make... He doesn't want to hear what Esau's got to say about him or what Laban's got to say about him or even his daddy. He wants to know what Jacob has got to say about Jacob. So he brings him to a place of confession. A confession of who he is at heart. A confession of everything that he is associated with. A confession of everything that he has ever done. He wants it all to come out of Jacob. Jacob met angels on this night. 
He met God on this night. But the most important thing that happened to Jacob on this night was for the first time in his life, Jacob met Jacob. It reminds me of the prodigal son. Far off from the, from the father's house at the hog pen. And the Bible said while he was slopping the hogs, the Bible said, the phrase that the Bible uses there, is that he came to himself. Now if I understand that correctly, that means that the prodigal son was sitting down at the hog pen with this slop all over him, hogs around him, the smell and the stench. And while the prodigal son was sitting there, lo and behold, the prodigal son walked up to the prodigal son. He came to himself. Can you imagine when he walked up, the prodigal son walked up to the prodigal son and began to talk to him. He said, you stink. You rascal, you've spent all of daddy's money. Look at you the way you're dressed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You low down thief, you ought to get up and confess to God your sins and go back home and tell daddy what you've done. I'm ashamed of you. I can see the prodigal son as he's sitting there and he looks up at the prodigal son and he says, Man, I was thinking the same thing. I think you're right. I believe I will go home. You see, there's nobody that can talk to you like you can. If your wife tells you what you need to hear, you're going to get mad at her. And if the preacher tells you what you need to hear, you're going to get mad at him. You're never really going to get things right with God until you can really talk to yourself. Because you are the only one that can tell yourself what you need to hear. And that's really what happens in salvation and in every step of our life. As God brings us along, He has to bring us to, our, to the place where He so convinces us that we begin to talk to ourselves and tell ourselves what's wrong. He says to Jacob, what is your name? For the first time, Jacob has to cry out and he says, I am Jacob. He brings forth a confession out of him. The only way that God can deal with the Jacob that is in any of us is He has to bring us along as He did him. And there He must deal with us and there He must convince us of who we really are. Not what everybody else is, but who we really are. There is a confession that is there. A confession. Jacob is talking to himself. Not only is there a confession that takes place, but I notice God deals with the Jacob that is in Jacob through a crippling effect. It's not just enough that he's going to let Jacob say, Oh, well, oh, Lord, I'm Jacob. Forgive me. But God begins to do an essential work that has to be done. He begins to do an evident work. 
When God is finished with Jacob this night, He does a work on the inside, and He also does a work on the outside. He does a work that Jacob knows has been accomplished, and He also does a work that everybody that knows Jacob knows that he's a different man. He came out that night completely different than what he went in. Because God had wrestled with him and had broken him. God had to break him to bless him. God had to cripple him to crown him. And we are so different than God, we cannot use things that are broken. God can't use things until He has broken them. God uses broken things, whether it's broken soil that gives a crop, a broken cloud that gives us rain, broken grain that gives us bread, broken bread that gives us strength, broken flowers that gives us perfume, or broken saints that gives us blessing. God has to break us. He breaks us on the inside, emotionally and spiritually and mentally. God breaks us down. While we're crying out, somebody pray for me so I can be strong. God's not interested in you being strong. He's interested in breaking us so He can be strong. He breaks us on the inside. Whatever it takes to crush us. And we all, none exempt, have to be crushed if we'll be used of God. Jacob is brought to the end of his life, to the end of himself, to hopelessness and helplessness. And it seems as though that God is crushing him on the inside. I'm of the opinion that every man of God is crushed by the hand of God at some time in their life, or whatever instrument and means that it takes to do it, He wants to crush you. The intent of God before He ever blesses you is to crush you. He crushes him on the inside, but it's as if that's not enough. He's not going to let him come out of there with just a secret work done. Everybody knows who Jacob is when he goes in that night. But when Jacob comes out, he doesn't just want, just want Jacob to know something has happened. He wants everybody else to know something has happened. And so he crushes him in a way that, that, that we would all hope would be secret. The Lord did something in me, but I don't want to tell anybody. <laughs> you won't have to. It'll be, they'll all know. Oh, but you say it's embarrassing or it's, it's hard to deal with. I may be extreme in this statement, but, and I, I'm, I'm still chewing on it, but let me throw it out. I don't know that anything's ever really settled on the inside until it shows up on the outside. Jacob is crooked on the inside, and it ain't really settled until 
it shows up on the outside. And when he comes out of there, he has been crooked on the inside, but God has dealt with that. But when he comes out, it shows up on the outside. And really, I think great men of God that have been used, when you watch them preach, you're seeing what God has done on the inside. It's showing up on the outside. Many times it's been sorrow and pain, the, the, the terrible snap of the leg or the hip, out of joint in the night, the weeping and the sorrow and the pain that we'd all like to avoid, but God knows. There's no way He can bless us until He's broken us inwardly and outwardly, until we have absolutely no strength at all, no abilities at all. Jacob went in a strong man. He came out as weak as any man you've ever seen. He's got ten boys, and you know he's wrestled with them and wrestled with them and wrestled with them as every dad has. But how embarrassing it is when one of them jumps on him and wants to wrestle the next morning, and he steps back and says, No, son, please don't. I can't. I just can't do it no more. My hip won't let me do it. I'm not strong like I one time was. Boy, can't you remember when you first started out with God as you were so strong? And we still have a lot of that strength in us, don't we? Still have that lot of strength. We just, we'd like to take anybody on. But God's interested in breaking us to where we have to back off and say, I'm sorry, I can't fight this one. My hip won't let me fight. <laughs> I've got some boys. If you've got any boys, you know what I'm talking about. You start out, boy, I'll tell you, when they're little kids, you can just, you wrestle and wrestle, you get tired, you sling one up against the wall and say, let's go to bed. They just think dad's Superman. Then after a while, they begin to grow, you know, and begin to mature, and you, you wrestle with them a little more, a little more, and a little less, and a little less, and a little less. And finally, the day comes that you know you were whipped, and you're hurting. But it's too embarrassing to say, son, I can't no more. You're killing me. You've whipped me. So you have to say, no, son, that's immature. That's baby. (laughs) Grow up. (laughs) Hoping they'll always fear you, but you don't want to fight no more. Don't want to fight no more. God wants to bring us all to that place to where we just don't have any fight left in us. Just don't want to pick a fight. Don't want to fight. We just know if we did fight, we'd lose, so there ain't no sense in it. A little poem I come across said, When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man, that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands while his tortured heart is crying and he lifts his teaching hand. God making a servant as he breaks him. He's crippled. And when he comes out, it's evident that he's crippled. Old Jacob's not the man he used to be. 
See, God knows how to deal with us. As He works on us and brings out the confession, the things we don't want to talk about, and as He brings out the crippling. But the last thing I want to point out to you, I didn't read the verses, but I'll just point out a couple, of, three or four of them in chapter 33. I want you to notice how that God works on Jacob, not only through a confessing and a crippling, but through a changing. What I would call a metamorphosis. That's what happens when we get saved. God has to change us, create us anew. But not only in that area, but every area, as the preacher has already preached on sanctification, being a mighty work of God. Uh, In every area of our life, it has to be a changing from glory to glory as God changes us. It's not through your methods and mannerisms and and it's not through you becoming determined that you're going to uh, do better and be better. Jacob went through all that mess with all of his vows and all of his promises and he was no better a man or nor changed a man at 90-some than what he was at 20-some or 40-some. And you know as well as I do, you have your little meetings and revivals that we have. Same people come to the altar, but they go back the same way. And within a week or two or so, they, they just nothing's changed. I heard about a lady that always come to the altar and during revival and after revivals, oh, well, she'd give the, give the preacher a fit. But her prayer was always, Lord, would you take that heavenly broom and sweep the cobwebs out of my life? Then she'd give the preacher down the road all year long, come revival again. She'd come slide in the altar. Lord, would you take the heavenly broom and sweep the cobwebs out of my life? He finally got sick of it. One night he got down beside her and he said, Yes, and Lord, would you take a handle on that broom and kill that spider that's building them cobwebs? (laughs) There has to be a change in our life. There has to be a change in your lives. There has to be in the change of our pe- in our people's lives and in our children's lives. But only God can bring the change. But God knows how to change us. God knows there's so many vices and, and uh, there's so many faults and there's so many sins and there's so many ways about us that are so ungodly and so unrighteous. But only God can deliver us from those things. God has to change us. Did you know that not one commandment in the Bible was ever given to be kept, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament? We believe that for the Old Testament. We don't believe it for the New Testament. That's why we try to tell our people to keep all them commandments. But I'm going to tell you the simplest one that Jesus ever gave, you can't keep and nobody else can. He said, love your enemies. Now you tell me how to do that. He never told you how to do that. That's the work of the Holy Ghost in your heart. He's the only one that can do that for you. Read all the books you want to and say all your little uh, cantations or whatever you want to say, honey, until God moves in your heart and creates that divine love. You can't have it. Jacob's going to be Jacob. He's going to live Jacob. He's going to die Jacob unless a miracle happens. And as I said the other morning, honey, our churches, ourselves, and everything else is going to say the same and die the same unless a miracle happens. It has to happen. Only God can change Jacob. Only God can change the situation he's in. And God is not interested in making you better. God is interested in changing you. 
We don't need any more vows and promises. Jacob said all in, you can say. Hadn't helped a bit. The real need, the only hope is for Jacob is a divine change. Divine change. Wouldn't we like for our folks to straighten up? Do better. We'd feel so good. <laughs> you know, so-and-so's come to church. I'll tell you, just about every service now. I'm just so proud of them. Well, hold on a while. If Jacob's in there, he'll come back out. Full force. I'd rather know that God has changed them from the inside, wouldn't you? That is the only hope. Oh, the Lord, if God can do it for Jacob, maybe he can do it for me. <laughs> Hopefully. I sure need it, don't you? But he does. He works on him. And he changes him. Jacob's a changed man. Look at him in chapter 33. I want to just point out these four things and I'll, I'll close. This is unreal. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> this has become my favorite advice for people. Counseling advice. When they come and say, Preacher, this is the situation that I'm in. What can be done? And I look at them and say, Sounds impossible. You need a miracle. Well, is that... Well, what do you want me to do? So, well, I'll tell you what. If you need to do this and see if you can get him to do that and her to do that, and then we'll try something else. It's impossible! Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And what? <laughs> What's he doing? It seems to me that Jacob is feeling love for the first time in his life. He is feeling love. For the man that has been his best, biggest enemy, he is feeling an emotion of love. He is weeping! I mean, he said, Jordan had been in the service the other night. What's so grand about it? Esau come from over there and Jacob over there and they clinched. And old Jacob, you wouldn't believe it. First time I ever saw him, a tear in his eye. He was crying, boys. He was sobbing. <laughs> you mean he was sobbing over Esau? Sure was. <laughs> what happened to him? I don't know. He spent the night over there somewhere and come out and crippled. And, and uh, I don't know. He just, he'd been... Seems like he's crying all the time. He's going around the handkerchief all the time sobbing. <laughs> Hugging everybody's neck. What a change. He's feeling love. What a change. He's experiencing grace. Jacob doesn't even know the word grace. He's never depended on grace for anything. What does he need grace for? When he can do it himself. Somebody said, God will never ask you to do anything you can do for yourself. That's stupid. That's where Jacob was. He's doing everything for himself. Look what a mess he's in. He's digging a hole he can't get out of. He doesn't know anything about grace. But look at verse number 5. He says, God has graciously given thy servant. Talking about his children. Verse number 8, he said, these are to find grace in thy sight. Verse number 10, he said, I've found grace in thy sight. Verse number 11, he said, because God hath dealt graciously. Verse 15, he said, I have found, it seems like now all he wants to talk about is grace. 
<laughs> he said, my children's by grace. My life is by grace. My cattle's by grace. Everything I've got's by grace, boys. So where'd you learn that from? I just picked it up the other night in the wrestling match. I learned more in one night, boys, than I've learned in 90-some years. It's by God's grace. <laughs> I'm convinced that it doesn't embarrass God at all to let a David fall. Now listen to me. It doesn't embarrass God at all to let a David fall in sin if that's where David has to go to find grace. We mourn, I mourn, I do and you do, over preachers that have fallen. But some of them found grace in the fallen state that they just didn't have and couldn't have in the position that they were in. David, he'd cut your head off in a minute, buddy, if you just made the wrong move. Until he made the wrong move. And after he made the wrong move, he didn't want to even pull the sword from the sheath. So just let them alone. They're probably right. What they're saying is probably right. He knew something about God's grace. He's feeling love. He's experiencing grace. Look at verse number 20. He's living by faith. He's never done that. <laughs> the Lord has told him, Your name no longer is Jacob, but Israel. In verse 20, and he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi, Israel. He said, I'm no longer Jacob, I'm Israel. The rest of my life is Israel. My power comes from God. Hmm? The God. The God, this is what it means, the God of the God of Jacob? No. The God of the God of Israel. He's living by faith. But now, this, this really, really thrills me as I notice this great change that is taking place in verse number 11. Now, this is the key to it all now. Don't miss this. If you don't miss this, you miss it all. What has Jacob struggled for all of his life? The blessing. Did you ever blow those little bubbles and they just float out in the air and then try to catch one? It's almost impossible to catch one. I mean, you just, they just move away from you. And you just get right in a big a bunch of a big bunch of them, and you and you go to grab them. They just seem to evade you. And then if you do get one, it just it pops. It doesn't last any time. And Jacob starts out of the womb grabbing for it, the blessing, just like he's, he's almost in reach. I I think I got it. I, the bowl of soup. I believe I got it. I I, 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 I tell you what. I I dressed up like old Esau. I reached out. I think I I think I got it. I come away with all Laban's cattle. Surely, surely I've got the blessing now, but, but it seemed as though that 
He never did have it. He's always out there trying to get that blessing. Look in verse number 11. Take, I pray thee. He's talking to Esau. Take, I pray thee. What? (laughs) My what? Jacob is sick and tired of hunting after blessings. Sick and tired of it. He's not going to do that anymore. Hunt for the gold that is at the end of the rainbow. The fountain of youth. He's sick of all that now. He's not going to go hunting anymore blessings. He found out that night when he wrestled with the Lord that he already had more than he could stand. So he started giving blessings. Started giving blessings. You thought about that? He gave Esau a blessing. He called in the two sons of, of, uh, 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 of Joseph and gave them a blessing. And he blessed all of his children. What a change. Now, he's, he's instead of trying to get blessing, he's starting to give blessing. <laughs> He's just going around looking for somebody that needs a blessing. I've got so many blessings, I just want to give a blessing. The misery of looking for a blessing is over now. It's looking for somebody that you can give one to. That's the thrill of it. And it caps it off to me. The day he goes down into Egypt, during the famine... Two years of the famine have already taken place. He goes down into Egypt, cash-wise, cattle-wise, and possession-wise, he's a broke man. The reason he's going into Egypt is because he don't even have anything to eat. Rides all those miles down into Egypt on the back of them wagons. Gets down there and meets Joseph, and the first thing Joseph said is, Daddy... I'd like for you to meet the king. He said, well, okay. Where's he at? And he takes him in to this majestic palace. Ivory thrones. Gold everywhere. To the wealthiest man in all the world with necklaces of gold and, and bracelets and all of these other things and vestures of fine linen like you've never seen. <laughs> and Jacob comes in there. Now he's limping and he's, he ain't got a thing to his name. Oh, this is where you live? <laughs> nice to meet you. But you need a blessing. Amen. <laughs> you see, no longer was his blessing dependent upon how many cattle he had, how much land he had, what kind of garments he had. That night he found out that God was his blessing and nothing could increase that or diminish that. Nothing could take away from it. And he could walk into the presence of the most powerful and wealthy man in the world and say, I'd like to bless you. (laughs) 
He's a man of blessing. He's not seeking them anymore. He's giving them away. You see, the Bible said, In him doth all the fullness dwell. If that is right, that means that Jesus is not like you and I. We may have a full tank of gas today, but if you drive 50 miles, you've used the substance. You don't have a full tank anymore. But you can never use of the Father's substance and leave any less than what He had when you got it. It'll always be full. That's why when the prodigal son came home, he no doubt marveled he'd taken everything into the far country that belonged to him. And he got home, and his daddy said, Get that fatted calf, get those shoes, get those rings, and get that coat. And I can see that boy saying, Well, I thought I took all that. <laughs> you can't take from the father's house and leave him with any less than what he had when you started. He'll always be full. And if we ever one time realize that we're blessed no matter what our attendance is, we're blessed no matter what the offering is, we're blessed no matter what the doctor has said, we're blessed no matter how our children are living, we're blessed no matter what size our church is, we are blessed because we are blessed in Christ and that can never be diminished no matter what the circumstances and situation. And if our hearts know that, honey, we can go and be a blessing. Because it wasn't it Simon Peter said that you have been called to inherit a blessing. I don't know if I'd want to hung around the. Ja- I know I wouldn't have wanted to hung around the Jacob before that night because I I know him. <laughs> I am him. But I sure would have liked to hung around that Jacob after that night, wouldn't you? What a difference in this man. Amen. 